All right, here we go. Greg Scheinman here, Midwife Mail Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me this week and every week. As I always say, I really appreciate all of the support, all the feedback, those five-star ratings, those positive reviews that y'all are kind enough to, to provide are really helping this Midwife Mail movement continue to grow. On the show this week, I have Dr. Lars Testrup. He was born and raised in Northern Virginia. He attended Mary Washington College, earning his BS in biology. He received his MD at the Medical College of Virginia and completed his emergency medicine residency at Johns Hopkins. He then went on to do his fellowship in North Carolina, and he focused on emergency medical services, disaster preparedness. Uh, He works with the Houston Fire Department. He works with the Houston SWAT team. He serves as an EMS physician and practices at several emergency department hospitals throughout the city. He has completed an integrative medicine fellowship at the University of Arizona. In his off time, like this guy has any off time, he loves to be outside with his wife, Heather, and their two kids and their golden doodle, who will make an appearance in the show a little bit later. He is an incredibly active, fit guy, He is also the author of a new book. Let me get this. Eat, Sleep, Move, Breathe. That is coming out on November 30th. It is a beginner's guide to living a healthy lifestyle. He is in the process of working through a lifestyle medicine certification, board certification. You can see where this is headed the transition, emergency medicine, what he is seeing in his career through EMS, through emergency medicine, into lifestyle medicine, taking a more proactive route to helping people, more preventative lifestyle transformation angle there. This is a book that was written for anyone interested in cultivating a healthier lifestyle and that shorter attention span individual like myself may not want to spend the time or think they have the time or the patience to sit and read 300 plus pages on diet, sleep, hygiene, exercise, finding peace. Although I would like that stuff because I'm interested in all of that stuff. This one's about a hundred pages. It's a quick read. It's for all ages, difficult concepts broken down in a manner so that anyone can gain the knowledge and understanding necessary to start living healthier. Pretty awesome, cool stuff. We got connected through another good friend of ours, Dr. Mike Mann. We talk about him a little bit in the program coming up. So let's do this. Let's get Dr. Lars on the show. Here we go. Midlife male, Dr. Lars Testrup right now. Lars, how you doing? I'm doing good, Greg. Thanks for having me. No, I appreciate you you being here. So we got connected through a mutual friend, uh, yes. Dr. Mike Mann, fellow ER doc. I say fellow to you. I am not an ER doc. <laughs> no, nowhere close. Nobody wants me taking any care of them, emergency or otherwise. But your fellow ER doc, uh, Mike Mann. Um, yes. and you have some really interesting stuff going on. Um, even in addition to, 
your your work as as an ER doc. So we want to dig into to all of that. Um, but first, I got to ask you, as we're going to do this, I always like to know, we had breakfast and we talked a little bit, like, give me a little bit of your daily routine. Like, what do you do in your to get your day started? Like, how do I even get on your calendar at 2.45, you know, on, on, a, on a Thursday? Well, you know, one of the blessings of being an ER doctor is uh, you, your shift work. So some days I'm on and then the off days I'm usually off. Um, I do have a, a, as you noted, the buyer of a couple side gigs of, uh, I'm very passionate about EMS as well as, uh, lifestyle. Um, but, uh, you know, my day generally starts, if I'm not going to the ER, it starts with a light breakfast and then I hit the gym. That's pretty much the way it goes. And from there, I just go down my calendar and I, uh, take care of family. Now that we have the kids home from school, that's a big part of my morning. And then, uh, I try to stay active throughout the day and take care of fires as they come up. Mm. What's the, is there a particular type of, you know, fitness you mentioned the gym? Is there a particular type of fitness that you like to engage in? Do you mix it up? Are you like, Hey, this is what I do period. Mm? Well, so I, I, I mixed it up a little. I was introduced to CrossFit about six years ago, uh, by some guys that I work with, uh, through EMS and I became, uh, uh it, it's a workout that I really like because I, I feel like it's a cardio, it's an anaerobic and aerobic workout. Works really well for me, but on my, I try to build in rest days within there. And on those days, I try to stick to a little more cardio rather than uh, some of the anaerobic lifting, if you will. Um, on those days, I'll do some rowing, running, uh, some skier. It just depends on what I'm in the mood for. Have you always been a healthy guy? Did that lead to you gravitating, you know, to, towards medicine? Um, were you an athlete growing up? What's, what's your background? So growing up, I, I was very much into lacrosse, played quite a bit of lacrosse, uh, tennis. Uh, but you know, I, I would love to sit here and say that I was a healthy model citizen through, uh, high school, college, med school. But I'm going to be honest with you in med school, I was the guy who went down to the McDonald's and ate twice a day. Uh, I was not healthy. I didn't feel well. Um, I did this through residency as well, had a terrible diet. Of course, your lifestyle during residency in med school isn't exactly optimal. Um, but you know, after that, uh, I took a job with the Houston Fire Department. One of my responsibilities, I'm a physician for our Houston SWAT team, and I was required to make their physical and make it through their basic school. So I had an immediate crash course in fitness, in healthy living, in diet, you name it, getting sleep. Um, I had to take this on pretty rapidly because I had exactly about 10 months to get in shape for the basic school and take their physical. What does that entail? Uh, their physical is a lot of running, pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups, a, a lot of body weight work, but the basic school you're running around in a, in a vest, uh, about a 20 to 25 pound vest all day long doing multiple exercises. Uh, you work out starting at about five in the morning and some days you finish at seven, some days you finish at nine thirty ten during that week. So you had to have strength, cardio, and a pretty strong mindset to get through the school. 
Do you, is that by the? I don't know whether they publish that or not, but I would love to whether we can talk about it out loud or talk about it offline. I'd love to know exactly, you know, what that test consists of. I mean, I geek out on that stuff all the time. Like, huh, I wonder if I could do that. You know, <laughs> wonder if you could do it with me maybe next weekend. Let's try, right? Exactly. Well, it, it's a test that changes quite frequently. It just depends on what they want to use. Um, I think you could easily look up the state police test and I forget the CrossFit workout that it's uh, resembled after it's slipping my mind right now, but it's very much a CrossFit style test that you have to take every three months. And then for the basic school, that's just an all out grind. That's just, mm-hmm. you name it. You know, if you don't have strong abs, you don't have strong arms, you don't have strong chest, you're, you're in legs, you're just not going to make it through it. Gotcha. Do you come from a family of physicians, you know, was medicine in your, in your background, in your family? No, actually I'm the first one. Uh, my parents are from Denmark and they're both business. And uh, I think as long as you remember, either family members were in the military or they had some sort of business degree. Mm-hmm. Did you go to the military at all? Never. No. What, what do you think was the pull towards medicine? Um, you know, as a, it was just as a young child, I always wanted to take care of people and I, I just always had a passion for it. And when I turned 18, I went off to college. I decided to make the decision whether that, that drive to be a doctor was real by joining the local rescue squad. And so I joined the local rescue squad and absolutely loved it. Uh, I remember my first call was a cardiac arrest as an 18 year old. And, uh, it was, it was traumatizing, but at the same time, it proved to me like this is something that I want to do. And it just grew out of there. Just, I just became a firefighter, became a paramedic and just, it sort of evolved into the next step is med school residency. Let's do a fellowship in EMS. It just all kind of wrapped together and, um, it worked out pretty well for me. Mm. Where were you raised? Where? It was Fairfax, uh, Virginia. Uh, actually in Burke Center. Okay. And then you went on to medical school where? Medical College of Virginia in Richmond. Okay. Um, and res- you talked about residency also. How does that, I mean, again, I don't, never done this, you know, I mean, nice Jewish boy whose parents probably wished he was a doctor. Okay. But again, no, I don't know anything about the process at all. Uh, where did you do your residency? So residency was at Johns Hopkins, and that's just a three-year, all hours of the day, working 100-hour weeks. It was, it was rough. All in, though, between you know, college, medical school, residency, how many years is it until you, know, you are an ER doc and now you're just on your shift? You're in there. So you could do it in seven, four years of med school, three years of residency, but I chose to do a two-year fellowship after that. So. Um, I, I really didn't finish all my training for nine years. Mm. What does that mean? You know, a fellowship. Exactly. All it says is you're specializing in something. Um, it, it says I'm going off to get a little extra education in this so I can focus my career on that subject matter. So one of the fellowships was emergency medical services and disaster preparedness. And so that's my specialty. And that's why I work for the city as one of the medical directors for the Houston fire department. And I also do medical direction for Bel Air, but you know, another fellowship I I finished was integrative medicine. And, um, you know, I'm also currently trying to get my boards in lifestyle medicine, just because those are passions of where I see my career heading down the road. Mm. Let's talk about that a, a little bit. Lifestyle medicine. 
Because, you know, again, you're coming from the ER, you obviously see a lot with your work with the fire department, with the cities, the municipalities, everybody that you're involved in. So what exactly is lifestyle medicine? And then I also want to talk about kind of, you know, why that's, you know, that's a passion for you. Like what's helped you gravitate towards that? So lifestyle medicine is a philosophy essentially of we can prevent disease or reverse disease by just looking at components in our lifestyle. And those components that they focus on, and this is very evidence-based lifestyle medicine, and they look at your diet, your sleep, exercise. It looks at your social connections. It looks at your mental state as well. How much peace are you getting? And sort of pulling all that together and saying, all right, what can we change that's evidence-based where we could say, for, for example, I can get you off your hypertensive medications or let's do something to decrease your hypercholesterolemia, your hyperlipidemia, thereby decreasing your risk for a heart attack. Or how can we get you off of your insulin? So when you start combining all these together and working together, you can do some pretty amazing things. So the reason why I, I went that direction was essentially because once I started getting fit, I discovered, okay, this isn't just about exercise. This is also about diet because I could exercise till I'm blue in the face, but if I'm not watching what I'm putting in my body, I'm just not going to feel well and I'm not going to be able to perform well. And then the, la- the other component of this is if I don't get my sleep, it affects everything else. And if my head is not in the right place, I'm not going to be able to be successful in the other three. So the big challenge there, because all of that makes sense and there's multiple, multiple challenges, but the big challenge, you know, or, or one of the large challenges there is how do you get people to buy into that with all that we have going on? You know, it's like, it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to, you know, implement it, live it and make it part of your, your lifestyle. Um, Talk to me a little bit about that. You know, people are quick to jump on the bandwagon of the latest fad, whether it's a diet or a food or eat this or not that, or, you know, they'll do 30 days, you know, at a gym and jump on the bandwagon hot and heavy and then fall right off. But, you know, if it's lifestyle medicine, you're talking about all those things that are so important. How do you actually make it a lifestyle? So I, I think there are a couple of things to that, that question. First of all, we're in very unique times uh, with COVID. I think COVID has brought a lot of attention to, for example, obesity, because we're looking at worse outcomes in patients who are obese. Um, and that's been fairly televised. That's been researched. And, and we just know that. So people are beginning to say, well, what do I need to do to stay healthy? Because you know, I, I don't want to be a victim of COVID. Um, I think to really just get past, oh, right, COVID's over. Now I don't have to stop eating McDonald's every day. I think to get past that is you need a period of time where it's a habit. And then once it hits a certain point, generally at about the year mark, it becomes part of your lifestyle. So, and they've done research on this. Uh, If you can make it to about the 12 month mark, it is incorporated into you in such a way that it's just who you are now. Now you can always fall off the bandwagon a little, but that's really what you need to do. And it takes a lot of motivation. It takes a support network. It really takes the patient or the individual themselves to realize this is going to benefit me. 
And a lot of that comes from their, you know, physician patient interaction or that trainer individual interaction or the nutritionist in that interaction. Cause it takes a team to really get someone on track. Mm -hmm. From a response standpoint, um, do you going towards lifestyle medicine? Is it a response to what you've seen in the ER, you know, over the years, you know, the calls that you've responded to? Absolutely. Um, we, the whole drive behind the book was actually an interaction that I had in, ER, in the ER. I've been paying attention to it for years, and I've seen people uh, who are making choices, and they know they're not making the right choices, but they just choose to do so, or they just feel too overwhelmed to tackle a change. And sometimes I think maybe they're biting off a little more they can chew because the, the change has to be realistic. So I had a patient who was in their 20s and they were morbidly obese. They had diabetes. They had hypertension. And I remember them looking at me and saying, doctor, I, I don't understand why I'm this way. I don't want to be like this. And usually in an ER, I'm, I'm, you know, you're rushing from one patient to the other. You're just you know, try to keep your head above the water. But I sat down and I talked to that individual and I started asking some questions. And the question said, well, tell me about your diet today. What are you, what have you eaten today? And what are you going to eat today? And they rattled off, well, I, I will go to Wendy's and then I'll go to McDonald's and I'll probably uh, find some wings for dinner. Um, how much exercise did you have today? I asked. Well, you know, I went from my car into the office and back. I mean, I consider that some exercise. I said, how much did you sleep last night? Well, I got four hours of sleep. I had a good show on TV. So I got about four hours, which is pretty good for what I do. I usually average four to five. And I said, well, how much time do you take for yourself just to mentally recuperate from a busy day? I said, oh, I, I, you know, I, I do fine. And it was obvious that this individual was depressed. And I asked, well, so what do you know about the food that you're eating? I said, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I figure it's food. I try to eat the healthy stuff off the menu. So what I, what I think I've realized over the years is there's a lot of misinformation, number one. There's a lot of lack of information. And I think with the way that our health system is set up currently, forcing our primary care doctors or internal medicine doctors to see about 30 patients a day, they don't have time to sit down and really get into the depth of what changes need to be made. That's an hour consultation as I'm sure you're aware, like that takes time mm -hmm. to really dig in there and figure out what's, first of all, what is keeping you doing this? What, why do you keep doing this? And then what do I have to teach you to get you on the right track? So yep. because of that, I don't think people are really learning what the right approach to changing their life is. And you know, the funny part is I said to her, I said, you know, there, there's a bunch of material out there. And she said to me, I don't have time to buy a 300 page book about exercise, sleep, or diet. It's like, I'm not going to read that. And that's when for me, the light bulb went off is okay. We, we have a opportunity here. This, I, I think there's a way we can maybe fill this gap. Yep. And you mentioned the book, um, which is called eat, sleep, move, breathe, a beginner's guide to living a healthy lifestyle. And this is coming out on, you said November 3rd, correct? November 30th. November 30th. Yes. Okay. You can order, pre-order it on the 3rd and every day and then receive it actually <laughs> after November 30th, right after Thanksgiving, which is perfect, right? 
Yes, definitely. No, no doubt. Okay. So there's the inspiration kind of, kind of for the book. Describe for me the overall message. I mean, a lot of it's in the title, you know, right there, which is, which is great, but the overall message and the, and the concept, you know, what you wanted to get across. So really, we wanted to create a book, and I actually roped in two of my friends to help me write this book as well, uh, Dr. Flagar and then a, an excellent trainer that's local, Connor Martin. Uh, we, I, I wanted to put together a book that really focuses on health and wellness and really provides that beginner framework of how to approach it. And we're, we're not digging into nitty-gritty detail because I think a lot of times that's what turns people off and, and says, I, I can't keep track of all this stuff. Um, the other part of this book is we've made it only 100 pages long. We didn't want to make it too long. So we don't have time to get onto the, that little detail. We're, we're covering the big, we're trying to take, take care of the big issues and hopefully make someone realize, you know what, I, I'm ready to take on exercise. Let me start there. And if they start there, what they're going to realize is everything's interconnected. If you start with exercise, soon you're going to see some results and you say, you know, I wonder if I cut out certain things in my diet. Maybe I should try to do that as well. Maybe I'll feel even better because I feel pretty good doing exercise. Maybe I'm going to try to do my diet a little. And then they say, well, I want a better workout. So maybe I should get a little more sleep. Maybe that will make sense. And then maybe I do need some time for myself because if my head's not in the right place, then how am I going to you know, stay strong and continue with my exercise, my diet, my sleep? So they're all intertwined. They don't really stand alone. But our suggestion is always Take one thing, start working at it as much as you can, and grow on it. Because if I sat down, I said, you need to do this for your sleep, you need to do this for your exercise, you need to do this for your diet, and you need to start meditating, someone's going to look at me, roll their eyes in the back of their head and say, okay, and nothing will ever change. Yep. Totally get that. Uh, I'm going to come back and and stay on the book a little bit, but you had mentioned something a couple of minutes ago, and I I made a note about you know, what you're seeing and what we're all seeing as a result of, you know, COVID. Um, You know, one thing that I feel like has been missing a little bit or being understated in in the messaging, and again, you're the doctor, I am not, um, is health, wellness, fitness, you know, all of the things that you're talking about, that those of us who are eating well, sleeping well, moving well, breathing well, exercising, you know, have, I think, a greater propensity to fight this off, you know, or, you know, or, or get, get through it. Um, do you see that too? Like nobody's shouting like out, be healthy, you know, like do all these things. The healthier you are, mm-hmm, the more resistant you are, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I think that's a tough because, you know, I, we could sit down and, and look at the, you know, unfortunately, those who've passed away from COVID. We could definitely find the outliers like the ma- marathon runner, you know, the very healthy individual who unfortunately passed away from COVID. We're, we're not always sure why that happens, but let me just tell you, that's pretty rare. What we mm-hmm. do know is that if you're deconditioned, morbidly obese, you will have a worse outcome from COVID. And we're, we're showing that. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why we say cardiovascular or hypertension. These are risk factors when it comes to COVID. And all those can be improved. If not, you could almost resolve them if you start living a healthy lifestyle. 
that messaging though, living the healthy lifestyle, I don't think necessarily that is the priority right now. Right now, the priority is to find a solution to the problem. Um, mm-hmm. Medicine is is very reactive to situations. We try to address, and I, I think if you look at the way we're treating COVID, this is the way we treat a lot of problems. We we try to address the 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 problem straight on rather than the underlying issues that lead to the problem. Yep. Again, another reason for a book like yours, right? Yes. So, I I mean, if you think about it, all these things are really the underlying reason for a lot of our uh, health issues that we have now. And if, you know, and and I I do agree with you, there's been a lack of messaging about, you know, living healthy and being healthy. Um, but I don't know how to, I, am not sure how to solve that on the media front. It seems like the media front's being, you know, very bombarded by a lot of different politics. So uh, as usual, lifestyle is a priority. Yep. And it's, it's for another time, again, not really my platform necessarily, no. either. you know, but I look at, you know, the, the gym that's in between the liquor store and the donut store and the liquor store and the donut store are both open and the gym is closed. And I go, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's unfortunate. Uh, I will say one thing I've noticed, uh, I'm part of some forums. There's been a boom in home gyms. Yes. Um, that I'd like to talk about a little bit too. I, there's been a run on fitness equipment. There has yeah. been, you can't find running sneakers, no, you know, or hiking shoes. No. You can't find a bike anywhere. Dumbbells. I mean, yeah. It, it's yeah. all out of stock. Mm-hmm. I hope that continues. I hope we don't see a run on used fitness equipment, you know, six months from now, you know, either meaning that it's all available. Again. I agree. I, I, I agree as well. I think there's a subset of people who are probably in better shape now than they were before because of COVID, uh, mm-hmm. because they're working from home and they have a little, you know, they can work with their schedule a little better rather than saying, oh, I got to go to the gym. Now it's, oh, I'm going to go down to my garage and I'm going to work out or I'm going to go in the basement and work out. You know, yeah, or depending. just take a walk. If we gave you yeah. back two hours of your day uh, that you're no longer commuting to and from the office, you know, the idea that you can use them to yeah. become better, stronger, faster, healthier, you know, um, hopefully you take, you take advantage of, of that. Um, yeah. You mentioned walk and, and I just, I want to point out how important just a moderate paced walk is and how it can actually add years to your life. If you do a moderate paced walk for 150 minutes a week, and that comes down to being what, maybe 30 minutes, five days a week, you can even break that down to less per day. You can actually start reversing disease and adding years to your life. Plus you're going to feel better. And by moderate, a great way to break down this as well is from a light workout, moderate to vigorous is a light workout. You can sing and you can talk during the workout. A moderate workout means I can have a conversation with you, Greg, but I can't sing to you. And a vigorous workout is I can't even talk to you. So that is a great way for people to sort of gauge their walks. But that's, it's amazing how the research on walking just proves that that's valuable for exercise and a great way to start. Yep. Do you have a recommendation then on between the, let's say the, the easy, you know, or I, and now I've already forgotten the three, like the moderate, the hard, you know, and, and the easy, like, is there kind of a recommendation or a breakdown, you know, look, do one or two easy 
workouts or, or light walks, you know, do a moderate workout a week, you know, no more than two, let's say super intense. I can't even talk, you know, situation. Is there? Yes. Is there sure. kind of yeah. So there's actually a recommendation. It's time. It, it's not, it, it, it's broken down by time. So you can do the recommendation now is 150 minutes of moderate exercise per week or 70, I think it's 75 minutes of vigorous exercise. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and just to warn you, nobody should go out and just automatically start doing vigorous exercise and think they can exercise less per week because you're just going to injure yourself if you don't exercise regularly. Um, yeah. So that's something you build up to. But, you know, for anyone to start doing a 150 minute walk is, it, it's pretty doable. I mean, obviously you've had bad cardiovascular disease, uh, bad hypertension, diabetes, you name it, you get pretty serious disease. You need to see your physician before you start doing any exercise to make sure you're, you're not going to have ischemic changes, meaning your heart's not going to be struggling with that exercise. But yeah. otherwise, that is the current recommendation. And in the studies, when they uh, took diabetics and they monitored their diet, they monitored their exercise, that's what they did. They had 150 minutes of moderate um, walking on a daily, on a weekly basis. I have to tell you, I mean, it makes a tremendous, a tremendous difference. Um, on average, you know, I'd say I'm probably walking three to five miles a day now since this thing started pretty much, pretty much every day. Um, because you have the time, I have the dogs, you know, all the other, okay. And when you think about from a sustainability, uh, and, and longevity standpoint, um, not putting heavy, hard impact, you know, on your, on your joints and on your body and having the time and just the ability to go out there and, and do that has made a tremendous, uh, tremendous difference, you know, that I've, that I've noticed in myself. Um, I can only imagine the difference that it would make in a sedentary individual's life, you know, going from being sedentary to starting to move how much progress you can make when there's a large needle to, to be moved, you know, there. Yes. So actually being sedentary increases mortality, believe it or not. So, you know, you real people really need to understand moving is what your body was created to do. You need to move. You need to do a little bit of exercise. Again, obviously check with your doctor before you start doing any exercise, but there are many ways to do this with an exercise physiologist. If you're really deconditioned or going to specific gyms or swimming or rowing, just you, you you need so, to start moving for about 150 minutes a week for a moderate exercise. So is this lifestyle medicine right now? Is that what we're doing You know, here? Is this the way you would see patients in a lifestyle medicine type program? I mean, is it as m- simple in a way of coming to see somebody like yourself and discussing, addressing, laying these things out? Um, maybe even aggregating, you know, other experts, you know, in their fields, whether it's nutrition, or as you said, exercise physiology, you know, or, Hey, here's how we get this, this program going for you, this proactive lifestyle and program versus again, the reactive one where we're going to treat you once something goes badly, you know, or wrong. Correct. I, you know, I think there's a niche for this and it's something that I'm very interested in doing. I think you have to create a multidisciplinary clinic, if you will, my prescriptions in this clinic will be for no medications because you're going to have a primary care doctor, but will be for what changes we're going to tackle when it comes to your diet, your overall health, your sleep, your exercise, uh, peace of mind, if you will, just to truncate it. But 
Yep. That multidisciplinary team usually consists of some trainer, exercise physiologist, and a nutritionist as well. Um, I, I'm also a firm believer in the value of some method of finding peace um, amidst all this. And especially during COVID, it is so important, whether it's meditation, um, whether it's you know doing some yoga and just focusing or walking meditation or just being mindful. You need to find time for your overall mental health or everything else falls apart. Mm-hmm. That really, it's a stronger support structure for everything. Maybe you know this, and, and maybe I should know this too, being in the insurance business. Is lifestyle medicine covered by insurance? So, you know, like, meaning if, I have a, if I've got my, my health insurance from my company and I want to change my lifestyle for the better, and I go see somebody like you, go see Dr. Lars at his lifestyle medical practice, is that, is that covered like a general practitioner or preventive care? Do you know? Uh, as from what I'm aware of currently, no, uh, what I, there are two programs that are available nationally and they're located, I believe both are located in California that are covered under Medicare, Medicaid. So they're covered by insurance. But, uh, as of right now, I think there are 2000 lifestyle practitioners out there. Um, and it, they try to incorporate into their practice. And if you're a private practice, 2000 in the US, I believe it's 2000. Don't quote me on that, but I believe the last number I saw is about two. It's been growing. It's only been around since 2017 as a board certification. The actual mm-hmm. lifestyle medicine, I believe it was around early 2000s when it was really developed, but the board didn't come out offering it to all of us until 2017. That's crazy, isn't it? Like, yeah, it, in, I, in the United States, to think that there's Roughly, we're not going to quote either one of us in this, roughly 2000, that this didn't become a board certification until 2017 with the issues that we're talking about. Um, It's just mind-blowing to me that that wouldn't be more of a priority. And just from a risk management standpoint, which is what I do every day, which is why wouldn't you drive down? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Drive down risk. Do everything you can to mitigate risk. Develop healthier habits and lifestyles, which would significantly reduce the instances in claims that carriers have to pay. I, I would agree with that 100%. But if I was a pharmaceutical company that supplied insulin, that probably not what I want to promote to get you off insulin. Mm-hmm. Just, I listen again. You know, I, 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 I'm not saying that's exactly what's happening, but you can kind of look at where the money goes, and you can kind of see where the priorities are. Because if it's not going to oh, make money, down that rabbit hole, yeah, we go down that rabbit hole all day long yeah. with everything you've talked about—food, nutrition, yeah. you know, oh, I mean, yes. caffeine. Oh. Like, why would you get more sleep if we could keep caffeinating you? You know, if we could pump you full of more energy drinks, you yeah. know that. You know, I mean, look at our food pyramid. I mean, it, you know, it, it just um, there's a lot of there's a lot of money and organizations that are pushing for things that get their way to some extent, and that influence what the recommendations are for our populace, and and that's just the way our society is built. Now, no, so they, back, go, ahead. go on, I'll let you finish. So, no, 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 go ahead. As you see, so if we get back to controlling what we can control, um, which is you know, what we do in our day-to-day lives and how many people we can influence to, again, 
eat, sleep, breathe, move, recover, all of those things. And maybe rather than have to give the pharmaceutical companies more money for insulin in there, they spend a few dollars on your book, you know, that's coming out um, on there. What, what would the book within the book, do you think makes it really stand out from, you know, some other, other titles on the market? You know, what's, what's the differentiator, the, the position that you're taking, you know, within the book? So we are, our goal, and, and just like the Tao says, we are a beginning guide to how to do this. I am, I am not going to spend 200 pages telling you about the physiology behind a certain movement or why you should approach this diet. We actually list in our book, for example, we give you information about diets. We don't tell you what to do, but we do tell you, how do you go in a grocery store and shop? Where do you want to shop in a grocery store? And if you pay attention, this is, this is really, really neat. If you look in a grocery store, in the center of the store, you're going to find processed foods. On the periphery is usually your fruits and vegetables, right? Your healthy items. So as we, we try to point this out to the readers saying, hey, let's start by eliminating some things that we know are not good for you. And let's bring in some things that we know are good for you. But I'm not going to tell you you're starting a diet. I'm just telling you, this is what I want you to look at. And this is how to approach it. With exercise, Connor's done an amazing job coming up with a program and just how to get started with exercise and how to progress on that program from week one to week two. When it comes to sleep, we really point out what are the benefits of sleep? What are the things that are getting in the way of you getting a good night's rest? And how can we change that for you so you can sleep at night? Because it's some very simple things that just no one ever tells. When was the last time you learned anything about sleep? Just, just in school, in college, in med school, residency, no one ever taught me anything about sleep. Well, what you learn is that you're sleep deprived. You know, that's what comes up. And, and a lot of these things are worn as a kind of badge of honor, you know, in a way. I, and even in... Yes. What are considered healthy professions, again, like medicine, you know? Yeah. Um, in there, this fatigue and this hustle and grind and all of these, you know, things that you, that are thrown around, including fitness, yeah. which is, you know, so much overtraining and that it's not really a workout unless you're finished lying on the ground, as you said, not being able to, to talk, you know, or I can function on, X amount of sleep or be sleep deprived and do this, they're worn like that badge of honor, the, the, yeah. the bloody shins from the deadlifts, you know, the callous, like all these things. It's kind of like too much of any good thing is not a good thing. You know, I, they're either. You know, I lived that life and I believed in that philosophy for, for a while. And, um, you know, it takes a toll on you. It, you age quickly doing that. Yeah, I, w- I would think so. I mean, I'm always amazed at my physician friends. Um, I do think that maybe going through something like residency and being asleep deprived, doing other, they do seem to have a ridiculous amount of energy and can go long, you know, be able to function, you know, yeah. in, in, in a really tough and stressful and strenuous environment. Um, and you said, is it sustainable? You know, um, and to your initial point, we don't learn or talk enough about sleep. So I am pleased to see things now, which I would, probably correct me if I'm wrong here, put under the lifestyle medicine category or umbrella about, as you talked about meditation, breath work, um, recommended sleep, 
techniques or tactics, you know, to implement to get better sleep and recovery. There right. seems to be a growing market and audience and demographic focused on recovery and maybe filling or replenishing their tank rather than just, you know, emptying it and depleting it constantly. I would agree. I think people are looking for a solution. And, you know, I have quite a few physician friends and, and they're, you know, everybody's looking for how can I get a control of my life again? Because in, you know, you, you lose control. All of us do. And I, I know my business friends as well. I, I mean, you can name it in any profession. When you start, you sort of lose your control of your entire life because you're so focused on this one thing and excelling at it. But over the years, you begin to realize, hey, I, this isn't how I want to live. And especially when you start, you know, missing on your kids' events and your wife's like, ah, oh, you're always so tired. I need you to wake up and, you know, I need you to be able to take the kids to soccer. You begin realizing, wait, this isn't right. This isn't how I want to live. Um, that who's, who's is, that's a motivator. Yep. Who's the audience, you know, for the book or, or you know, who is your ideal client, if you will, your ideal client, your ideal reader, um, who's this for? My ideal client would be someone who is in that contemplation state of change or just about ready to make a change. I think that is, if you're in that pre-contemplation stage where you're not really, you're kind of like, eh, whatever. Yeah, I think the book helps you and gives you good advice. But I think if you're really sort of saying, you know, I, I think I may be ready to make some change here in the next, you know, six months or so. I, I'm ready to really do something. This is a great book for you to go out and get and take a look at what you're, you know, how you can approach this. Um, for those that, you know, don't want to read a 500 page novel about, you know, sleep, I think this is a great book for you to start off on. Obviously, if there you want more information, there's plenty of information out there. But mm -hmm. this is a great way, it let, you know, it's just an outline of let's get started. Let's talk about the high points. Let's see what you're doing now because I can take the low-lying fruit, present them to you, and we can make some changes now that are very simple and very easy to do without yeah. you having to dedicate, you know, an entire three weeks to reading this book that you're probably going to be bored reading anyway. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me also ask you a, cu a couple of personal questions here because I think sometimes um, – you know, the audience out there, even the target audience or client, it doesn't feel like those of us pushing the message in a way are, are always the most relatable. You know, we get sure. up on our platform, okay? Sure. Um, doctor, personal trainer, um, nutrition, whatever, whatever it may be, you come at it from this position of quote unquote authority or even perceived authority. Um, and the recipient or receiver is always looking for, let's say, a reason why they can't do what you do, you know, or, or receive the message, you know, and do it, you know, that way. Um, how old are you? 44. How many kids do you have? Two kids. How old are they? I have a seven-year-old and a 12-year-old. How long have you been married? 15 years. How many hours a day do you work when you're on shift? When I'm on shift, well, it varies. Sometimes I do 24-hour shifts. Sometimes I do nine-hour shifts, eight-hour shifts. Uh, it just depends on what I'm doing. Um, so it kind of is a variance in there. What kind of dog do you have barking in the background? <laughs> That's my golden doodle. Okay. Two years old and still a puppy. Okay. How many jobs would you say you actually have? Four. 
Okay. What are they? So I'm an emergency physician. I'm a medical director for uh, Bel Air Fire Department. I'm an assistant medical director for the Houston Fire Department. And then I'm CMO of a company called RC Healthcare that provides pre-hospital resources. Uh, Basically, we're almost international at this point. You also are, again, recovered husband, father, dog owner, right? And now author. Yes. Okay. So if you're listening to this, I think you're getting my point, you know, right now. How many days a week do you exercise? Six on average. Okay. How long? So varies anywhere from 45 minutes to about an hour, 15 minutes. Okay. Do you get an annual physical yourself? I unfortunately do not. I'm about biannual or I mean every other year. Okay. What does a daily day of eating look like for you? So I am, I call myself a non-dairy pescatarian at this point. So I will eat fish maybe, uh, and best way for me to describe this probably over a week, I'll eat fish maybe once or twice a week. Uh, I will focus on my greens. I focus on my vegetables, my fruits. I try to eat whole grains. Whole food is a big, big push for me personally. Um, I think there's a lot of value in it. I stay away from processed foods as much as I can. Today was my one little cheat day and I had a little bit of uh, half a cookie and it was a big cookie. So uh, I do have a sweet tooth that likes to get me into trouble, but that's about it. And I don't drink any soda. I just stick to water and that's about it. You a coffee guy by any chance or not? No, I, I quit caffeine about nine years ago. How was that? Uh, it was hard and I never liked coffee. So I drank Coke um, and I stopped cold turkey and I had withdrawal symptoms, but I got through it and you know, somehow now willpower gets me through night shifts. Mm. Yeah. The soda thing I never did. I, I, that was never, you know, the Coca-Cola's, any of that stuff, the carbonated. Oh, terrible. That, was, that was fortunately not something I ever picked up on. The caffeine is a vice for me. That's that yeah. one's, that one's still there. You know, what's your take, um, on keto, paleo, you know, these different types of, of diets, you know, that are around there and people jumping on, and we touched it a little bit, these, these bandwagons, um, what's your take on that versus, you know, maybe what they should be doing or steps that they should take to figure out again, what they should do before they just decide on something that everybody else is doing. So I I think it depends on what you're looking for and what the problem is. So if you're someone who has IBS, there's a anti-inflammatory diet that's out there for you. If you're looking to lose weight, yes, the keto diet's out there, but the question about the keto diet, what is it in the long run? I don't think we have enough data for, you know, extrapolating what happens down the road when you're on a keto diet and how long that's actually sustainable. Um, usually they put you in ketosis for a very short period, then kind of transition you out of it. Paleo, I mean, let's let's boil that down. That's really just eating like a caveman. Um, very natural. Uh, you know, I, I think when you look at the underlying diets, there's a common thread. And the common thread is to avoid, well, it's to avoid crap. And crap stands for calorie-rich and processed foods. That's really what you want to avoid, right? So... Mm-hmm. Whole foods 
are in any diet. For example, I'm a big fan. I like the Mediterranean diet. I think it's a pretty pure diet. There's been a lot of research on it. The Blue Zone book, I'm sure you've seen that. Uh, Mediterranean diet's pretty good, but it's all about whole foods. Nothing that is processed. And, and a great example for this is you can't visualize where that food came from. It's probably processed. So, for example, you pick an apple off the tree, it's an apple. That's about as whole food as it gets. But then if I create applesauce, I add another layer, and I'm kind of wondering, okay, how did I get here? What did we add to it? If I create apple juice, a couple more things get added. If I'm eating an apple crisp, I have no idea how I got to that point. So we're processed now. And, and that's the key because once you get the processed food, you're dealing with a lot of terrible carbs, terrible sugars, saturated fats, um, things that are just going to get you in trouble and make you sick and make you have a uh, potential for having diabetes down the road, you know, cardiovascular disease. So I, I'm not a big fan of labeling diets. Um, I, I'm a big fan of saying, you know, I, I think whole foods is a benefit. I think my personal opinion is I, there needs to be some limitation on meat. If you're eating meat every single day, you, there's a very strong possibility you're putting yourself at risk for cardiovascular disease um, and you're because you're getting just a lot of saturated fats. Am I saying cut meat completely out? I'm not saying that. I think there's some research demonstrating that a, a plant-based diet is of benefit. But if you're like, no way I'm doing that, that's okay. Let's take a look at what your meat intake is and, and, and let's see what, you know, if there are changes that need to be made and if you're willing to do those changes. Because the reality yeah. is when it comes to these lifestyle, and I like to call it lifestyle change rather than a diet, it, it's a partnership between your clinician and you. It's not me telling you. It's me discussing it with you and seeing where is your mind on this? What are you able to tolerate doing? Because I know once you get started down this route, you're going to make some healthy choices. And that doesn't mean you're going to cut out meat. It just means we're really going to make some changes and you're going to be happy with it. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about, um, you know, lifestyle medicine and, and these topics, you know, that you're talking about eat, sleep, move, breathe again, beginner's guide to, to living a healthy lifestyle is the name of the book. Um, this is written for anyone interested in cultivating a healthier lifestyle. You may not want to sit there and, and read 300 plus pages, uh, on diet, sleep, hygiene, exercise, you know, or finding peace. This is like, okay, right to the chase hundred pages in there. The book is for all ages, um, to break down difficult concepts, you know, in a manner that that's simple. Um, how does this apply? You've got children. I have teenagers. You know, how does it apply towards youth? You know, it's one thing to try to transform or change the habits of fully developed people, grownups that are out there. Um, but you know, where my head has been a little bit of, of late also is about, you know, what can we do to develop healthy habits of our children and youth so they don't get into these positions later in life that have to be changed or transformed or try to be undone, or maybe it's too late. So, you know? so the, the book isn't just focusing on adults. It does focus on pediatrics as well. Um, we, we do have some pediatric-centric uh, items in there, for example, sleep amounts that they need, different ages. Um, exercise wise, that's something, you know, is not translated to a child because it based on their age is what they can do. Uh, for that, I would suggest some youth programs along those lines. But, you know, with kids, it's a fine line you walk. I think the key for, you know, 
your kids not walking down that bad route is by you being an example. Because it is amazing how children will pick up on what their parents do. And, and just for example, when I'm out in public and I've talked to my kids about smoking and someone smokes, they go, ooh, that's gross. I'm pretty sure my kids will never be a smoker uh, because that's they don't see me smoking and they know how I feel about smoking. I've told them what the consequences are. So as a parent, if you're taking on, you know, for example, like let's not eat at McDonald's uh, more than once a week. That message is going to be sent to that child. Okay, so why aren't we eating McDonald's? Well, it's probably not that good for you. Okay. And it's done. That's how they learn. They learn by watching you. Now, at the same time, as they get older, even though my mom raised me with a very healthy diet, there's going to be a point where they are going to make those decisions. and They're going to want to regress back um, to some of the things. For example, my rebellion was eating McDonald's every day. Because I, I thought it was too hard of a line drive for me saying I could never have McDonald's. So I went over the edge. So what I do at the same time is I don't lock things out for my children. I let them try it. Um, but they also understand that this isn't going to be a regular thing because it's not good for you. But I'm not going to tell my daughter, you know, for the once a month she asked for Whataburger. No, you can't have Whataburger. We'll let you have Whataburger. Just know we're, we're not going to do this regularly because, you know, it's really not that good for you. But I, I'm going to let you have a treat today. Yep. Moder- moderation is key in education and leading and leading by example. Correct. Uh, what did you learn while you were writing this book? And maybe not just necessarily about, you know, from the, even from the medical perspective, but like, how did you write it? What time did you set aside? Did, do you record versus actually type, you know, like, like I, I'm, I'm just fascinated by this stuff too, you know, having, you're putting out a podcast, writing a newsletter each week, people saying, you know, oh, you write this? I'm like, I don't know if I really write it. Like I speak it, you know, mostly, you know, I'm constantly making, making notes and trying to do things and compile them. What was your takeaway from saying, I'm going to write a book and going idea through execution? So I think I realized for me to write a book, I need a strong drive or motivation. And really what that patient did for me was pushed me in that direction because I'd always had the thought. It was always kind of there, always had this idea of eat, sleep, move, breathe. It was always sort of there, but I never really crystallized it. And when, after that meeting, it became, I became very motivated. And my, you know, my style is outline, fill in the places, do the research because what we've tried to do is create a book that's evidence-based as well. Uh, that quotes research supporting our statements. So there's a lot of research out there. You just have to find it. And I'm hoping, you know, and I'm sure by now, you know, there's been more research that we're not even aware of that we could have put in the book. But, you know, at this point, it's it's a little too late. Um, but it, it's, um, I think what I learned is how little I knew, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. I learned quite a bit. Uh, just just about things about our society, what our habits are. I, I learned about uh, it was fascinating how many actual diets there are out there. Um, I learned about just sleep. I mean, who 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 knows anything about sleep unless you're a sleep researcher, right? Um, and then you know meditation, the benefits of these different things. It was great seeing that research had been done on meditation. It's just fascinating. So it, it was an education for me. And it supported really what I was trying to do. Makes perfect, perfect sense. All right, guys, Dr. Lars Testrup on the Midlife Mail podcast today. So much valuable information. Um, 
here so much more valuable information in the upcoming book, Eat, Sleep, Move, Breathe. You need to pick up your copy on November 30th when this comes out. Lars, where is the book coming out? It's going to come out in storefronts and Amazon, you name it. Our publisher said they're going to put it out pretty much everywhere that's available for you to purchase a book. Fantastic. Um, in the meanwhile, social media presence, LinkedIn, do you have a website? Is there so anything that you can I, talk about? I'm in the process of getting established on Instagram. I'll be creating a lifestyle, hopefully uh, providing information to whoever wants to follow me. Um, and that should be coming out here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and then we'll be having a website, Eat, Sleep, Move, Breathe, as well as a Facebook page. So you could find us that way. So it's all coming down the pipe. Uh, guys, as you listen to me each week, as you subscribe to the Midlife Mail podcast and newsletter and follow me on Instagram at Greg Scheinman, I will keep you posted on all of those things. Lars, thank you so much for being here today. This is really, really great stuff. No problem, Greg. I really appreciate you having me. And since you are in the Houston area, I'm going to continue to hit you up for information. Uh, maybe we get out, take that walk, um, or uh, maybe we make it one of those throwdown days where we go a little bit harder and can't sing or, uh, or speak <laughs> you know, at, at the end. We'll give it a shot. Let's do it. I'm ready. You got it. Thank you so much for joining me today. Guys, if you like what you are hearing on the Midlife Mail podcast, remember, please give us that five-star review. Please give us that positive rating. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody, including the barking dogs in your household. I've got a Labradoodle myself. He's got a Golden Doodle back there. Um, we go live. This is real life. We're sitting at home right now, and we love having the kids, the animals, everybody around, and you guys listening. Um, at Greg Scheinman on Instagram, gregscheinman.com on the internet. Questions you have, people you want me to have on the program, send those recommendations and that feedback my way. Love hearing from you guys. Until next week, take care. Take care.